This is Founder Journey, back with another episode. Uh, today, we've got uh, Ali Tajskandar. 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 Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I openly admit I cannot pronounce people's names. Uh, if you've listened, you can go back to all the different podcasts and see me butcher everybody's name. My last name is also more difficult than most, uh, <laughs> most last names. <laughs> uh, but Ali, thank you for joining us. Uh, you are the founder of a company called Wishpond. That's right. Let's talk about Wishpond. Let's talk about the sector. It's a, it's a marketing tech company. Um, Want to talk about that. There's a few really important things that are happening in that industry mm-hmm. right now, which is very relevant for our audience. But then we're going to wrap it back up to your journey of how you got to where you are today. For so sure. welcome. Please tell us about Wishpond. Thanks for having me. I mean, uh, Wishpond has been a very interesting story for me. The best way to explain what Wishbone does is to, high level of it is we're a marketing automation software platform, all-in-one marketing platform for small businesses. But to think about and understand why we exist, think about when you talk to, let's say, a chief marketing officer or a marketing professional, let's say chief marketing officer at a large company, and you say, how are you acquiring customers right now? How do you market yourself online? There's not going to be a quick answer to that question from them. They're going to be like, well, I don't have time for it, or sit down, you know, let me take an hour to just scratch the surface. But if they did want to unwrap, you know, unwrap that, they would say something along the lines of there's, you know, seven, eight, ten different tools that we use. There's a whole strategy with a whole bunch of tactics that feed into each other. There's a framework, there's a foundation. Um, we also use agencies sometimes. We have our own programmers to, you know, uh, integrate things together. And it's a very nuanced answer. Now, contrast that to if I ask the same question from a small business owner, you know, five employees, ten employees, something like that, and I said, "How do you how uh, how do you market yourself online?" Their answer is going to be very different. Their answer is going to be most common answer is, "Oh, we're not really doing anything. We have a website, and you know, basically word of mouth." Uh, or the the second answer might be. Oh, back in the day, we hired an agency and, you know, someone said it's all about advertising and we paid them a bunch of money. It didn't really work out that well. We canceled it. Then a few months later, people said, you know, it's SEO. So we hired this offshore SEO company. You know, they said it's long term. So we, you know, waited four or five months. Nothing came out of it. Mm -hmm. So we canceled that. Then someone said it's all about social media. So we got our secretary to start posting on Instagram. We did that for a few months. And yeah, it was interesting, but we didn't get any business out of it. So we stopped doing it. And they're looking for silver bullets, right? Those two approaches are so different, right? Why are small business owners looking for a silver bullet? Because they're busy. They're busy running their own business. They're not marketing professionals. They don't have a lot of financial resources to be able to pay for all of these tools and put them together. And they're not copywriters, all of those things. So that's a long way of you know saying what Wishbone does. What Wishbone does is we want to give level playing field and democratize online marketing for small businesses so that they can have the same power as a large company. So what we give them is we say, well, for you to effectively uh, acquire customers online, you need a framework. And that framework generally, that growth fr- framework, need to have a component of attracting new prospects, nurturing them, converting them and managing them and getting referrals. And, and it's a positive feedback loop that you need to uh, follow. And our platform has everything you need for attracting, whether it's your website builder, forms and pop-ups and you know, different lead capture tools and welcome mats and you know, all of those things or contests and promotions, everything you need to attract leads. And then once you've attracted them, for the nurture part, we give you email marketing, SMS marketing campaigns, shopping cart abandonment campaigns, and a CRM to manage them. 
And then also we give you a referral marketing campaign. So so imagine if you're you were a gym and you were using Wishbone, um, you know, if I'm a member, I can refer you mm-hmm. to become a member and you get one month free. I got I get one month free. The ba- the way basically Dropbox initially grew. So we have that as part of our platform as well. And not only that, at the end of the day, if we give all of this technology to a small business owner and say, good luck, they're going to trip over themselves. There's too much. And also, you don't know what the best practices are. So in the first month, as part of the onboarding, we use our copywriters, our designers, our marketing professionals and set everything up, including rebuilding your website on Wishbone if necessary. And then we hand it off to you. Then you have the best chance of success, and you know you can continue running it on your own. If or if you need us, you can come back to us as well. So is it primarily targeted at the uh, SME, the small it medium is. enterprise? That's right. That's right. <clears throat> and so it would be fair to say that it really helps them grasp the ROI of their marketing efforts a lot more. It it helps them first of all have a marketing strategy online yeah. that is that is cohesive and it works. But then also, yeah, have a way of really tracking what's working, what's not working. So, for example, I could go to Wishbone database and see Ray came to our website and checked out these, you know, the, the pricing page five times. And then he watched a video 13 seconds later. He stopped it. We sent him these emails. He opened this one. He comes from Vancouver. You know, th- these are mm-hmm. all the things we know. So, and, and, and the transactions you've had with the company as well. So, all of that you can see and take actions on it. Because when you said earlier, um, the, the the typical conversation that you have with a, a small business around their marketing is like, oh yeah, we tried SEO and uh, they told us it's going to take a long time. We waited four or five months and we saw nothing. It's because in their mind, they need to see instant gratification. Well, I would say instant gratification, but they need to a see that, R- that ROI. Yeah. Like, I'm putting this money in. I need to see sales. I need to see revenue coming and in. And you're absolutely right yeah. because a lot of times they might actually have got results, but they just don't even know it yeah. because it's difficult to to measure that. Do I feel like my business is doing better than yeah. before or not? Unless, so, yeah, unless there's like an a, a immediate spike in revenue, they mm-hmm. think it failed, right? But that not necessarily is a failure. It might be just better brand awareness right. and that conversion might come three months from now when someone needs that product. That's right. So... Uh, the marketing sector is very interesting. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a lifeblood of every company. You, right. you need to build marketing. People need to know that your products and services are there available. Right. But the industry itself is going through major shifts. As we talked about, like first it was um, just having a website and then SEO and, and uh, copy. And now it's social media and TikToks and everything else and uh, brand presence, um, social media sentiment. What is it that you really get excited about uh, with what's happening in market right now? I think... Um you know, one thing that you and I briefly touched on before uh, we started uh, the the podcast was uh, the role of first party data and how Apple, with their privacy policies, have limited the ability of certain advertising platforms to really show proper attribution and tracking. Right? I think one of the things that I see is obviously a lot. Actually, of- let's just take a step back. Sure. So what exactly happened there? So Apple basically put out a new policy that essentially killed. A lot of the marketing workflows and processes that hundreds, if not thousands, of companies around the world all mm-hmm. already had in place is now defunct. It, it does not work. It's not showing the yeah, results. Yeah, especially anymore. around advertising because you can't actually necessarily track that customer anymore mm-hmm. to then be able to say it came from this Facebook ad. And if you can't show that, then that will hit companies like Facebook and it hits also the advertisers' ability to know what's working and what's not working. So, so it's a big deal. I, I think what's interesting, though, is that 
you know, we've seen this over the years. Uh, in the early days of Wishbone, we were very much Facebook centric and everything we had was a tab on your Facebook business page. And we went through that whole process of Facebook starting to deprioritize business posts and starting to almost kill those tabs, right? And I've also seen a lot of businesses, retail you know, businesses now get very dependent on Amazon as their distribution channel. We see more and more businesses want to be on social media and kind of make their business on social media. This is, I think, another example with you know Apple privacy policy and uh, those changes that you need to ultimately own the customer relationship and you can't be 100% at the mercy of those third parties. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, actually, I'll give you an example. One of our clients, uh, you know, Boo Foods, they came to us back in 2016. They sell vegan protein bars and they sold through retail distribution, but same problem that you know they were at the mercy of retail di- distribution and and, and um, you know retailers. They said we want to actually sell directly on our own website, and they understood really well that the key to that is to grow their subscriber list. They had sixty five hundred subscribers back then, email leads, and we you know through using Wishbone and we helped them to grow that to about one hundred fifty thousand. So that one hundred fifty thousand is a engaged audience that you don't have to constantly advertise for, right? You have that relationship with them, you have contact information. I think that's going to be, you know, pushing a lot of businesses to start, you know, kind of uh, thinking about having their own independent presence as well. Yeah, it's a, again, own the customer, right? right. That they're your customers, stop being dependent on Instagram or whatnot right. or, to, to be that channel. Or <laughs> but, but how is it that Apple, obviously Apple's a massive company, but that one decision had a domino effect in the industry. So how is it that Apple was able to... um, Because Apple benefits from that decision because ultimately they're trying to make everything better for the consumer. And by making that decision, they don't hurt at all Mm -hmm. uh, because they don't really have an advertising, you know, marketplace, Not at least not meaningful, not like Facebook. So that is something that will hurt Google and Facebook and all that, but not Apple. Uh, to them, it's a, it's a good thing. And I think ultimately it might be a good thing for consumers anyway. Uh, to well, it's protecting your data. It's right? protecting your data. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we now know more and more data is critical in every single decision that we're right. making today, especially with these large language models and AI that's <laughs> popping up. Um, so what is the fix? How, how are small businesses uh, uh, addressing this? Obviously, the big players have a lot more marketing dollars and budgets and people mm-hmm. to to address this, but what is the solution for the small players? Is Wishpond a, a player here? Wishpond is a great player for that. I mean, ultimately, uh, small business owners, they're the ones in the driver's seat, right? But uh, I think instead of, for example, let's say signing up for a, an SEO company and a referral marketing company and, and uh, my website builder and landing page builder and SMS and CRM and you know all of those things. You can just use Wishbone. It's all in one. It's fully integrated. You see the full life cycle. It's cost effective, which is one of the most important things when you're thinking about a small businesses. And you can actually own that uh, client relationship. All the leads, everything is yours. You can do whatever you wish with it. I think I think that's one part of it. But obviously, you know, there's a lot more that the uh, businesses also have to control themselves. So uh, I'm a tech geek, I'm an accountant, but I'm also a marketer. I love right. jumping into uh, these type of conversations because it's all about storytelling, it's getting that narrative and uh, getting your products and services out into people's hands. Right. What makes you so passionate about How did you get to where you are today as the CEO of this uh, oh. <laughs> successful marketing <laughs> company? Uh, thank you. Um, 
Well, you might remember, you know, we started a while ago. We started back in 2009, 2010. And when we started, um, it was the, the time that Craigslist and Yelp and a lot of these local online businesses were starting to flourish. The iPhone just came out. Right. right? And, and But Facebook was very prominent. Facebook was very prominent, but, but still on early days. laptop, on your desktop, right? right? Not, not mobile. That's when they were saying future is mobile. Right now is present is mobile. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so back then we actually started with a completely different incarnation of the business. And we said, you know what? It doesn't make sense that you can find a product from halfway across the globe, from China or you know wherever, and you don't know what the local retailer a couple of blocks away from you has in a store. So wouldn't it be cool if I could grab my phone or on my computer and say I'm looking for a pair of sunglasses and I want it right now because maybe I'm you know going on a trip or something. I don't want to wait for a delivery. And also back then, delivery wasn't as fast as yeah. right now. <laughs> Uh, you'll receive in four to six weeks, pay an extra $29.99. Yeah, like How do you guys like, even do that? Yeah. <laughs> so um, it was all about local product search. And we said, okay, you can find this you know, pair of sunglasses and it would tell you what's, what local retailer has in the store. And it says, uh, it for $300. And then you would be able to make a wish. Basically, that's your lead distributed to other leads, uh, to, to other retailers that all I'm, all I'm willing to pay for it is $200, right? And that was the first version of the business. Um, the idea was good, execution was very difficult. We integrated into seven different point of sale systems. We you know, did a lot of crawling of data from you know, different websites. And then we would have cases where best case scenario, someone would go to the store, get that product and we're not even part of it. So there was no attribution. Long story short, we failed miserably at that, right? You know, the first four or five years of the business was that. But, you know, going back to your question of how did we arrive at Wishbond was, first, we had an imaginary problem that we were solving. And the world was like, yeah, we don't care about that. But by working with these local retailers and trial and error, we started figuring out, oh, okay, it seems like they're kind of caring about Facebook now. And if only we can get their product inventory that now we have access to and put it on their Facebook page as a tab, they seem to like that. We did that, and okay, starting to warm up. And then immediately after the initial excitement wore off, they would say, well, but no one is finding it. So like, oh, okay, if we do contests and promotions, you know, that would help. And then we did that, started warming up uh, as well. So evolutionary, we started pivoting into where the real pain point was and then expanding into the vision that I told you about right now. And, and uh, we're way closer to reality on that right now. But um, that's not where we started. Uh, we, we just learned with actual um, interaction and you know collision with reality what the real pain points are. Hello, fellow tech startup founders. I just want to quickly interrupt this episode to tell you about us at launch. If you're looking for a community to help you take your business to the next level, consider joining our Launchpad program. As a member, you'll get access to investor connections, programming, workshops, mentorship, and over $400,000 worth of perks. Also, don't forget to check out our other podcasts, Launch AMA and Bits and Bytes, for expert advice and stories from the tech community in Vancouver and around the world. Visit launchacademy.ca to learn more and start building your dream business today. That's launchacademy.ca. Let me take a moment to shout out our longtime sponsor, Smythe. They are a leading independent VC-based accounting firm specializing in providing financial services and consulting for tech companies across North America. 
Smythe has supported our program and our alumni throughout their early growth stages by helping them structure and set up their businesses, all the way to helping more established businesses with cross-border operations and M&A. They combine industry knowledge with a proactive, collaborative approach, empowering you to make more informed decisions as your business grows. So if you're looking for a trusted partner to help you drive your business to success, reach out to one of our Launch Academy's longtime mentors, Camelia Ho, for more information about how Smythe can support your growth. You can find Camelia's information on Smythe's website at smythecpa.com. That's S-M-Y-T-H-E-C-P-A.com, along with more information about the various industries they support and the services they provide. And then for you, as an individual, what got you to want to build Wishpond? Right. I think what got me to want to build Wishpond was a few things. One was that my dad was an entrepreneur um, in construction business. Mm-hmm. but Here in Canada? In or? Vancouver. Okay. Uh, sorry, in, in, in Tehran. And then later in Vancouver as well. But more so in Tehran. And, and growing up, that was the environment that we grew up with. And he always said, oh, you want to start your own business. You know, you want to start your own business. And so that was part of what we I was modeling myself after, mm-hmm. right? So I think that was one part of it. The other thing that happened uh, very fortunately for me was that thankfully he got a personal computer when I was only nine or 10. And that was back then, if you go back, I don't know whatever year that would be, 1991, 1990, at least in Iran, it wasn't commonplace for yeah. people to have a personal <clears throat> computer. And I just loved it, right? And, you know, back then it was DOS. It wasn't, you know, Windows or anything graphical even, right? But I just, as a kid, being able to play around with this thing and make it do things, that, you know, what else can I do that would be so grown up and I can do it just alone myself? And I started really getting passionate about that. And as I invested more into that, I obviously would get more encouragement and, you know, a recognition from others around me as well. Uh, so that getting good at that and getting you know clarity on I really like this and I seem to be good at it and I want to uh, be an entrepreneur um, kind of paved my way quite a bit um, and then later on in Vancouver um, I was uh, involved with a number of tech startups as as employees one of them was Sound Logic another one Sound Software uh, Sound Logic was um, exited to Lucent Technologies. Mm-hmm. And that's where I uh, met my co-founder, uh, Hossein Malik. And uh, Hossein, back then, he was a CEO and I was a low-level employee. He was, uh, for some reason, he liked me and he said, hey, whenever you want to start your own business, come to me first for investment. So years later, you know, having gone and done my own things and, you know, got my MBA and, you know, sorry, SFU, computer science, and then later MBA and all that, then I did go back to him. And uh, he didn't immediately give me money uh, because the initial ideas were pretty bad. Thankfully, he didn't. But over time, you know, evolved and uh, he introduced me to other people and we vetted some ideas and he finally said, okay, uh, I'll invest. And that's where Wishbone started. And, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that he also uh, continued supporting through the hard times of the company. Can we, can we talk a little bit about um, <clears throat> growing up in Tehran and, mm-hmm. and uh, like, obviously now, People see what's happening in Iran and um, the sanctions and, right. and the political upheaval. But like some of the smartest people I've ever met in, in my life are Iranian. Right. And, and, and there's just this level of intellect and, and vision of building and, and changing the way the world functions. 
What was it like growing up in Tehran? Did you have that type of influence around you? I, obviously, your father's very entrepreneurial, but yeah. what was the other aspects of the ecosystem around you? Um, it, it was quite interesting because my dad was an entrepreneur and um, thankfully our socioeconomic condition was good, not super high, but you know, upper middle class, let's say. Um, they were, my parents were able to give me some opportunities that maybe normally I wouldn't get, right? Like so a for computer. <laughs> like, like a computer or the other one is one of, you know, my dad's uh, close friends. He had a company that um, that built software for the city of Tehran. So huge projects. And it was, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was the representative of Sun Microsystems in Iran. Sun Microsystems in Iran. Like that mm -hmm. wasn't common again, right? And and because of that relationship, he was able to get me an internship there. Free internship, but still I could soak that up yeah. in a way that, you know, if uh, my dad didn't have that relationship, it would have been, you know, next to impossible. Uh, so so that helped. Uh, I think there there were a lot of opportunities there. It it was just that, you know, social and political condition uh, was kind of making a lot of things more difficult than mm -hmm. they need to be. You know, my dad, for example, his company was very successful there, but his level of stress was you know beyond uh, your imagination. You know, he would, for example, have this large. Um, uh, university that he built, one of the projects, and the employer was actually the government. And uh, someone within those conversations asked for a bribe, and my dad and the partner didn't pay it. And they said, okay, sue us, knowing that the judicial system there means that you're not going to see them in court for another 15 years. And with the infl inflation there, it meant that by the time they got the money, it was worth nothing. Uh, so some of those things were the reasons that I'm like, yeah, you know, this this country uh, is not supportive of entrepreneurs or or humans in general. Yeah. Uh, There's a the select few that always have their hand in the pot, right? And, and that just makes it difficult for anybody else to That's get right. ahead. But ultimately, I mean, it was an investment in our future more than anything yeah. else. And so, tra transitioning to Canada, right? What was uh, again for you growing up? Um, the stark difference between what you were experiencing in Iran and what you were experiencing here in Canada? Well, when I got here, I was 16. So I was still in school. School environment was quite different. Um, but to be honest with you, I think one thing that I found interesting was that the contrast was less than I imagined it to be. I actually expected the two worlds to be more different than they ended up being. Uh, at least at least how I perceived it in the first couple of months because I was yeah. kind of looking for those contracts. You're expecting like, the massive this is culture more similar. shock. Right? Yeah, yeah. it's like oh, more similar than I thought actually. Um, but you know, the other thing that I also noticed later on was how business friendly Canada and generally the Western world are versus over there starting a business was very difficult. If an employment contract doesn't work, good luck trying to you know uh, part ways with someone. <laughs> Uh, you know a lot of those things, and yeah, uh, you know, uh, just just a lot of a lot of really things that you know you don't want to deal with. So from growing up in Tehran to uh, high school and and um, being a, a a tech geek and employee <laughs> at a bunch of tech companies, and now running Wishpond, a public company, right? Uh, what's that experience like? Like it's being it's a public a, being a public company. Like you you, you were. Um, more entrepreneurial, you had a lot more um, control over what you wanted right. to do growing up and then uh, working in private companies, exits, uh, building Wishpond. But now, 
as a public company, right? Like you can't operate the same way that you did in, in all those other four stages of your life. Yeah. Um, so, so it, it's been very interesting. Um, a large, large part of our growth and maturation has come in the past two and a half years as a public company. You know, we grew by more than three times in terms of our revenue from 7.9 million to 22, 23 million revenue run rate from 1,700 customers to more than 4,000. We made number of acquisitions, like, you know, six acquisitions in this time frame, And the product became quite a bit stronger than it was, you know, two and a half years ago. But... On a day-to-day basis, and in terms of how I feel inside, my stress level definitely has increased, right? Mm-hmm. You know, as a private company, you know, I, I, I've never been a calm, chill person, to be honest with you. So I've, I've always had uh, stress. Uh, but, you know, if if you don't grow this month or next month or the month after that, you get depressed about it and you get upset about it. And, and if you have to get money from investors, you know, a lot of stress and anxiety from that. But it's still, it's more private. Mm-hmm. Right now, if we don't, you know, have a good quarter, it's a very public thing. I have to go and answer to a lot of investors and earnings call and, you know, analysts and deal with a lot of repercussions of that. So it's it's more, whatever you do is more visible amplified. and more amplified. And because of that, the stakes are higher and the stress is greater. And. Obviously, last two years we had COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said last two years have been a lot of growth for you. Right. Was that a factor? Uh, yes and no. Most of our growth comes from outbound sales, so we're mostly the drivers of that, as opposed to just inbound. We're getting more interest. So um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it's just that. Um, but when COVID started, you know, early twenty twenty. We had a lot of local businesses like travel and hospitality, fitness and mm. spas and so forth. And we thought our business could be in a very, very bad shape. We also sold to e-commerce and all that. But we took a hit in those spaces and then moved our focus to more e-commerce and B2B businesses that were still doing well. And the, the, the year in aggregate ended up being really good. Uh, past two years, yeah, there were some periods that were better than expected and some periods that were not. But... Because I, I would assume that this has been more predictable than just market trends. Because I would assume that the, the, there's a lot more shift to online marketing and online right. sales and, and e-commerce uh, because everything moved away from brick and mortar. I think one thing maybe I've noticed is that you need to have better salespeople. Uh, you know, you're right because there was more organic shift to you need to be online, you need to do this, mm-hmm. and there's more money available. Um, so it was also easier to 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 close deals. Uh, now everyone is more money conscious and, you know, like, do I need to do this? Do I not need to do that? Uh, we still have the same number of demos, but your salespeople need to be really sharp. Mm-hmm. Speaking about being money conscious, mm-hmm. uh, we, we were talking before we started here, you guys had a very large office here in right. Vancouver. You, you still employ a lot of people, mm-hmm. but you made the financial decision to shut that office down because right. nobody was there. It was right. uh, COVID and then uh, work from home. And now what's that work from home experience like for you personally as somebody working from home or uh, um, now managing people that are working from home? Yeah, it's a very interesting topic we can talk about for hours. Coming into your office, uh, I'm like, man, I miss this environment, the entrepreneurial yeah. environment and being together. So, so definitely... Uh, it's not without its problems. Um, 
Yeah, after COVID, we first sent everyone home, as I think you were required to do. Yeah. And then after some time, you could have people back, but no one really wanted to be back, and we didn't push anyone. So we had, you you had been to our office space, the whole floor, basically, or 11,000, 12,000 square feet, and two or three people were coming to the office. So we were paying $50,000 a month for two or three people. Then um, we decided to get out of the office lease and the landlord said, we'll sue you. We talked to lawyers. They said, yes, they will win. So we're like, okay, <laughs> all right, we'll wait until the lease expires. And the moment that the lease expired, we said, we're getting out of this. And um, part of the reason was that we were already having a lot of people uh, working at Wishbone that were remote across the Prior world, to COVID? Even prior to COVID. Yep. And through COVID, then we started hiring some of the uh, key core uh, roles also uh, internationally, like our CTO was based out of Berlin, for example. So then it made even less sense to go back into one office space and you know pay all of that money. Um, and and we've had tremendous growth, as I mentioned. But certain things that I do miss are um, you know some of those serendipitous, serendipitous um, you know interactions where you have an idea and then. You know, you just go knock on someone's door or like on their shoulder and talk about it for a couple of minutes and, you know, something cool comes out of it or you go for a walk or something. Those I definitely miss. Uh, culture build building is harder. People, you know, sometimes it feels like, you know, it's more mercenary culture than, mm -hmm. you know, company culture uh, because everyone feels independent and, you know, uh, all of that is part of it. So, um, and, you know, the other thing that I've also seen is in very few cases, but it uh, it does happen, uh, people who really cut you know terrible corners. You know, we've had cases that we've caught where someone had like three jobs at the same time, mm -hmm. and you know, or, and this, is, this is funny. Like right. some people say, "Oh, that's just like a um, uh, a rumor." That's like a um, no. We see it, a, we a, see a, it a, often, a, like it's, it, but it's reality. Like I know. <laughs> I, I know somebody as well that uh, was working two or three different um, uh, jobs at the same time. This person had during, he told me that he had um, uh, team meetings on, I think, Monday. So he had his one laptop open with the camera on, mic off, another laptop open with camera uh, off, mic on. Wow. And then he also had a cell phone running another Zoom yeah. meeting. Yeah, uh, and he's like, no, they never know. They no, it's it's it. happening. Or I mean, uh, in certain roles, it's harder. But I I do see sometimes people actually try to get away with it. Like you know, uh, we had at least one case in sales where the person sometimes wouldn't let the prospect into the demo because probably they were busy on something else, and then they would say, no, they canceled. And then fortunately, we had the logs; we could actually see. And uh, some of the other symptoms of, uh, you know, not not turning on your camera and some of that as yeah. well. But, you know, I, I think it it is interesting, though. The net effect, I think, is a positive one. There are some of these things that you need to worry about. And I think increasingly the future will be one where you have to pass the agency back to the employees, both in terms of, like, you need to track them based on performance and incentivize them based on performance so that, yeah, everyone is their own entrepreneur and they're doing the best work because it actually, you know, selfishly benefits them too. Uh, we're not quite there. I think mm -hmm. most companies are not there, but I think that's going to be the future of remote work. And so what is the current structure? So you said that you've, you've, you did open up an office, right? but it's a small office and it's just you and your CEO. Yeah, there's a, there's a very small office, uh, you know, a couple of desks, me and my COO. 
just you know chatting and you know uh, talking about things. And I we go to it maybe two maximum three times a week. The rest of the time we actually work from home as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just allows us to catch up on things and you know strategize and those kind of things. But other than that, no, everyone is working remotely from wherever they are. This is just one of the headaches as a founder you have to kind of take on and, and try to navigate that path of what is our, our work from home policy, what is our uh, uh, office structure, and right. how do we want to build the culture moving forward. But uh, what are some of the other challenges or things, the topics that you wish other people talked about openly uh, as founders and entrepreneurs when you were starting to I, help I think, prepare you for what you're dealing with I, today? I think... Um, one of the topics that we, we could have we could have grown faster and become successful earlier uh, if we had got good at marketing and sales earlier. And I think it's one of the areas where a lot of entrepreneurs actually go wrong because they fail at that part, not because their product is not good. Mm-hmm. And, and what they say, uh, if you build it, they'll come, it's not true. And 99.9% of the time, it's not that if you build it, they'll come. You have to go get their attention. <laughs> and um, I remember in the early days of Wishbone, we had uh, drunk the Kool-Aid of you know, MailChimp and some other companies that they say, you don't need sales. It's mm-hmm. all about marketing. Uh, you know, the world has changed. Uh, you don't want to interrupt people. You, know, you don't need to deal with sales and um, you know, the headaches of uh, personalities and you know, this and that. People need to be able to come to their your website. You find them that way with content and education, and and then they sign up and put in their credit card. You know that's all good and well, but there's limits to that, and a lot of times actually it doesn't work, especially when you go you know enterprise sales and B two B sales. One of the confer- conferences I went to, uh, Jason Lemkin was there, um, and uh, I went to him and I asked. That was when I was starting to think maybe actually we do need to have a sales team, Atlan sales team. And I went to him in passing. I'm like, hey, you know, big fan. Uh, why should we do sales as opposed to just marketing? And his answer was uh, to grow faster. And then he walked away. Like, what a stupid question you just <laughs> asked. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, the way he put it is actually so true. It is, you know, why am I having this ideological argument about marketing or sales or yeah. this and that? We have to get good at it. And I wasn't good at sales myself, so I had to get good at it and learn, you know, some books like Predictable Revenue was an awesome book. And then do the demos myself and, you know, start really nailing it. And then, uh, you know, years later from that, at that point, it, everything we sold was marketing. Now, more than 90% of our sales is actually outbound sales. Um, so getting comfortable with uh, sales uh, is, a, is a big one. It kind of circles right back to the beginning of the conversation where a lot of the SMEs give up on marketing because uh, they don't see the immediate results. Right. But it's a it's a marrying of the two. Sales, marketing, distribution, all is really critical yeah. for your company to actually grow. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Distribution is key. Distribution keys is key. A- any other last bits of advice for our audience, uh, budding entrepreneurs, seasoned entrepreneurs? Um, I, I don't know if it's advice, but uh, you know, the only thing I would say is that uh, if you're in the trenches and building something or working on something, um, I feel you. It's tough, and uh, it's, uh, you know, the pain is constant, and you know, the excitement is also constant. It comes and goes, uh, the ups and downs, but. Uh, if you think you're on the right path, um, you know, keep at it and then get help 
from uh, other people that can give you the guidance and mentorship. Uh, but uh, it's part of the journey. Don't give up. Don't give up. That's a great <laughs> way to end, end the conversation. Thank you, Ali, for joining us and uh, sharing your wisdom and experiences with our audience. Thank you. It was great to uh, chat with you. Hey there, fellow tech startup founders. This episode of Founder Journey was brought to you by Launch Academy. If you're looking for a community that can help you take your business to the next level, look no further than our Launchpad program. As a Launchpad member, you'll have access to everything you need to succeed, including investor connections, year-round programming, workshops, offline socials, mentorship office hours, and over $400,000 worth of perks. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale, we have the resources and support you need to achieve your goals. But that's not all. At Launch Academy, we also have two amazing podcasts that you can check out, Launch AMA and Bits and Bytes. At Launch AMA, we bring in industry experts to answer your burning questions about entrepreneurship, fundraising, marketing, and more. It's a great way to stay on top of the latest trends and learn from those who have been there before. And on Bits and Bytes, we highlight the tech community of Vancouver, sharing stories of innovation and success from people who are driving the industry forward. It's a great way to stay informed about the local tech scene and connect with other like-minded individuals. So why wait? Join Launchpad today and start building the business of your dreams. Visit launchacademy.ca to learn more about our programs and how we can help you achieve your goals. And don't forget to tune into Launch AMA and Bits and Bytes for even more great content. Visit launchacademy.ca.